No my hot my koto and thank you very much for tuning in to this recap episode covering the fifth round of Super Rugby Aotearoa where I'm once again joined by Adam Julian to discuss the pair of fixtures. Now both contests were close, the first of which was the Crusaders taking down the Blues at home to push their undefeated streak to 36 and in Sunday afternoon's game it was the Hurricanes who recorded their second one of the competition after holding off a late Highlanders surge. There were a few talking points across both games, one of which got Adam particularly riled up, and I have to say, sort of caught me off guard. Enjoy. Well, it's a pleasure as always, Adam, um, to have you joining me on the mic, where we are going to be covering the fifth round of Super Rugby Aotearoa. Uh, Two close games, uh, similar to last weekend with the Crusaders... Beating the Blues on Saturday night and the Hurricanes pipping the Highlanders on Sunday afternoon. But we'll get into the first game where the Blues, for the most part, looked the goods for the first 60 minutes. And I think had it not been for the, the Braden Enor charge down, which sort of swung the game back in the Crusaders' favour. Because it was a weird one, right? Because Rico Wani scores a try and I feel like the Blues got over that hump of sort of catching the, the Crusaders and putting them on the back foot, which they aren't typically used to. But that charge down got them back into the game or got the crowd back into the game and then that quick restart from Wanga where he gathered a short kickoff to catch the, the Blues napping, that got the crowd even further into the game and once they got their tails up, they couldn't really be uh, reprimanded. So yeah, what were your takeaways from game one? It was an extraordinary incident involving Braden Enor and the charge down kick. And one of the most enduring memories I have of a visit to Rugby Park with the Crusaders was seeing the honours board. This was before Scott Robinson was the coach. And every player in Crusaders history is listed on the honours board. And beside each player to have won a Super Rugby Championship is a sword. And at that stage, there was only one player with seven swords, and that was Reuben Thorne. Now, Reuben Thorne used to antagonise me as a proud Wellingtonian. I preferred Jerry Collins. Reuben Thorne was less flashy, but Reuben Thorne perhaps epitomised best everything about the Crusaders, and that is unfashionable hard work. And Braden Enor's ability and passion and skill to chase down the kick for the charge down was such a Crusaders-like play. And then Richie Mwanga with the audacity to take the short kickoff, benefiting from the confidence of touching the ball a lot, benefiting from the confidence of being behind an often rampant pack, salvaged the ball, and then once the Crusaders got ahead, it was all over. It's interesting when you study the first four games the Crusaders have played, Jordan, with the exception of the Chiefs game, in the last 20 minutes, the score to the Crusaders in their three other matches is 70-7. to in the last quarter. Wow. It's a great bit of homework there, but yeah, I, I after half time when the Blues went into it with the lead and considering the, the defence that they showed in that first half, I mean they were getting them off the line, showing a lot of great line speed. And then when they because your one scored just before the hour mark and I thought like, oh shit, I don't think the Crusaders have been in this territory all that often. 
but then yeah, like as as soon as you know Chaja kicked down, I was like, why was well firstly why was Ortiz Black sort of mucking around with it? Usually when you get those kicks close to the post and when you're gonna take it maybe 10 or 15 or so meters from the line that's always the risk you take and so a lot of the time kickers will just take the one step and plot it over but obviously yeah Watsley was probably a bit too relaxed in that and he probably wish he, he could have that back and yeah like as soon as the, the Crusaders get their tails up it, it's very hard to sort of stop them I know that the the Blues did well to stop the Crusaders from that ensuing wave but from there like someone like Mwanga who sort of played like a man possessed in that last 20 minutes after a couple of sort of shaky plays in the first half, especially when he missed touch or when the ball went dead, sorry. And even some of the kicking, I thought I thought like there was a big emphasis from both teams on putting the ball in the air and neither team really did it effectively. I thought Bryn Hall's box kicking uh, was off what is usually one of his strengths. And then even like Bowden Barrett, there was at times where he probably looked to get, I guess, maybe a little bit too stuck in and he got pinged at the breakdown a couple of times and um, got done for being offside. So... Yeah, but yeah, that was a massive turning point that he all charged down. But I guess the catalyst for the, for that late surge um, was the was the man we or the the latterly man we mentioned was Mwanga. So we mentioned the short kickoff, but then he had the nice, lovely touch to sort of double pump and then put George Bridge away down the left hand flank. Before then, he fired it back inside the Drummond and they scored their try. And then it was just like you could just hear the crowd. And it was funny. I was talking to my old man earlier in the week, and we were sort of predicting who was going to win. And he thought that it was going to be a really tight contest, but that the Blues might really struggle to take the crowd out of the game. And I was sort of like, oh, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I just personally don't think that the crowd bears too big an influence. I guess it just goes to show the, the level of rugby I've played. But I thought that the, the crowd was massive, especially in that last 20 minutes. And especially when there was the one kick when Braden Enel put it in the right-hand corner and Bowden Barrett was forced to take it into touch. And you could just hear all the hecklers getting into Bowden and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a, it was a really tight contest. But I thought that Moanga really stepped up in that last twenty minutes. And then talk about Barrett, he was a bit of a passenger. I found. I mean, I know they subbed off or Teddy Black with about an hour to go. Pretty much after he he had that muck up with the with the conversion. And I just would have liked to have seen Bowden with a bit more ball in his hand. Albeit that the Crusaders dominated possession in that final quarter, but. I think like when you get into those sort of nitty gritty moments, that's when you need to put the ball in your playmaker's hands. And yeah, he just often sort of floated in and out. Well, the Bowden Barrett fullback experiment has been a complete failure. And the fact that the Blues have won seven matches in a row prior to Saturday has disguised the fact that it's been a failure. Bowden Barrett is the world's best player and he was voted that officially by World Rugby for two years. His statistics on Saturday night make for dreadful reading. He touched the ball six times and ran for 10 metres. He turned the ball over three times, and he conceded three penalties. But the most telling statistic is the fact that he kicked the ball 11 times compared with Richie Moanga's nine. Now, why is the best attacking player in World Rugby kicking the ball when he's receiving it less? than the rival for the first five jersey in the All Blacks. Uh, Bowden Barrett, I fear, with his move to fullback, which may be an unselfish one for the Blues, is playing himself into irrelevance. You look at the challenges that are emerging for his position, potentially. Will Jordan could play fullback. Damian McKenzie, if he finds some form, could play a fullback. Richie Moanga is now clearly the best first five in New Zealand. Oteti Black is emerging as a strong contender 
for a black jersey. Josh Iwani has flourished with the Highlanders. Bowden Barrett will miss a lot of 2021 with a sabbatical in Japan. He's giving his competitors a huge inch and they're taking a mile. Bowden Barrett does not belong at fullback. It is a failure. And if he's a franchise player being paid more than any other individual in New Zealand, he should be running the show. And if he's not running the show, he's going to play himself out of an all-black jersey. I, I I totally get where you're coming from. I think that the the Bowden Barrett profile um, will make it really hard for whoever's the all-black coach. I think well, we're not, not going to see Bowden Barrett uh, in an all-black jersey. Whether or not he deserves it from his performances is another question. but one has to think that there must be some sort of influence from those all-black coaches considering, you know, like you said, you know, the profile that comes with Bowden Barrett, the ability he's shown playing at first five. But who knows, maybe Leon McDonald's been told, hey, we want to see Bowden at fullback because we want to keep running with this Richie Moanga 10 and, and Bodie at fullback experience. But again, I'm not privy to those sorts of conversations. But as you said, I think that over the last couple of games, especially with how their four-packs fronted up, and the the abilities of someone like Caleb Clark and Mark Talia to, to finish with um, the opportunities that they've had out wide, I thought that Mark Talia was outstanding again on Saturday night. That, again, like you said, it, it sort of masked maybe some of the shortcomings with having Barrett out of the play so often with him sort of just floating around at the back. I think that his kicking's gone to another level. He's, he's shown um, that he's more than adept of kicking off his left foot now, but like you said, his, his I guess his bread and butter first and foremost a, as a footy player has been with ball in hand, and just some of the, the opportunities or, or, or the decision-making that he's had, like we saw on Saturday, he just hasn't got himself in the play and got himself stuck in. And I think he's almost tried to overcompensate for that by sort of trying to back up. And like you said, he got penalised a couple of times at the breakdown for some side entries. And then he had that kick out on the full, which is not something you you often see from, from a player of his calibre. So, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Barrett is not the reason that the Blues have won seven games in a row. That's simply not true. Uh, Hoskins Satutu has created headlines for his play. Caleb Clark and Mark Talia, with their finishing, as you mentioned, have been influential in their success. The coaching of Leon McDonald and Tana Rumanga has introduced a greater steal. Uh, Bowden Barrett is not a player I want to see improve his kicking. Bowden Barrett is a player that needs the ball in his hands. He played 123 times in tandem with uh, TJ Perinara. Now, I can understand the challenge of a new environment but Barrett looks like a possum in the headlights at fullback and the two biggest games in the past 12 months he's played in the 15 jerseys have both been monumental failures and Saturday was one of them and the World Cup semi-final was the other one. Yep. No, you're not wrong. It'll be interesting to see going forward as to which way the, the Blues go because especially if you're going to sub off someone like Ortiz Black with 20 minutes to go, which is the most pivotal part of the game. It almost makes sense that if you're going to put Boat in there in the crucial stages, why not start him there to begin with? But then you also have to factor in the goal kicking. Now, Bowden hasn't done any goal kicking. Well, he, he's, he's picked it up sort of the late parts when Ortiz has gone off, but he hasn't been the first choice goal kicker. So that might be another decision factoring into selection across the park. But yeah, it was a tough one because I thought that the Blues Ford pack did all that they could to get their team over the line and I thought that the outsides did a lot of hard work especially on the kick chase and with the few opportunities that came their way they looked effective with ball in hand but there were just a couple of sort of key errors and I, especially off Ortiz or and Bowden because I thought that the, the halfback Finlay Christie played really well as well he got stuck in 
But to sort of highlight some of the brighter patches for the Blues, though, I thought that both the Iwani brothers looked good. Um, I remember we talked about it last week in our, in our preview that I was going to be interested to see which way this the matchup between the centres went. And for all of the good stuff that Rico Iwani can do with ball in hand, I actually thought that he gave the ball a bit of air. And his distributing was probably the biggest takeaway from what was a pretty solid performance all around for him. And then his brother having to become a, a makeshift six in the absence of Tom Robinson and because of the purple patch that Hoskins Satutu is going through right now, I thought that he looked the goods as well. And if anything, his game or his strengths are actually sort of moulded to the blindside position. So it, it's, a, it's a tough loss, and I didn't think the scoreline was a true reflection of the game because the Crusaders, again, just had this ability to just tack on the points towards the back end when, when, when a team like the Hurricanes or the Highlanders might let the the Blues off the hook with some of their decision-making in those patches. The Crusaders just aren't that team, and I guess it just goes to show once again that if you're going to turn up, especially in Christchurch, to play the Crusaders, you need to put in an 80-minute performance, and 60 just wasn't good enough. Well, what's encouraging about your analysis from a Blues perspective, Jordan, is the fact that you're discussing options and flexibility that they have in selection, and my fear with Bowden Barrett is that the game might be moving beyond Bowden Barrett, despite all the hype and despite his considerable ability, he may be overtaken. And this is the great challenge for a New Zealand rugby player is to remain on top the whole time. And as I say, if you give someone an inch, the opposition will take a mile. Kerry Iwani was uh, excellent on defence. Hoskins Satutu tried hard but faded in the last quarter. The other takeaway from the match for me was the performance of Alex Hodgman, who won three penalties against his opposite tight head, uh, Michael Alatoa, Alex Hodgman, a very robust and durable prop who may well sneak into all black contention. I like the cut of his jib. He carries strongly too. Mm, no, he yeah, he was one of the standouts, I guess, in the absence of Kyle Tuanukuafe, who was out injured. Um, and then I know this is sort of, uh, I might be sort of beating the same drum with this, but Ofutunga Fasi, like I've, he's sort of one of those guys who's been really inconsistent. He, for as much as he is solid on defence because he knows how to put in a hit and he seems pretty solid at scrum time. Is it me or does he give away way too many penalties for a guy who's played at the top level for a, for a significant amount of time? Well, that's the appeal of Hodgman is the consistency. You don't hear his name mentioned very often, but he is very good in the scrums. It's unusual to see the Crusaders penalised three times on the same side of the scrum and Hodgman though not as dynamic as Offa Fussy with ball in hand, certainly did the job in terms of going forward. And then and I guess just to, to wrap this game up, I guess with the, the, the big talking points being Bowden Barrett, I mean, if, if we, like like you said, like what would happen if, I mean, because his brother's playing really good footy at the moment, Damian McKenzie's sort of been uh, one of the standout performers for the Chiefs, but of course it's always tough to pick a guy when his team isn't going that great. Uh, like you said, Will Jordan, if he can sort of break his way into that starting 15, uh, David Havili's been playing really well. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not too sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you with Bowden Barrett and maybe kissing his all-black chances goodbye in, in the near future. But like, you can't really compare it to anything else, can you? Well, I can't compare it to anything seen in my time in terms of a player. Well, those, well, those uh, three players that you mentioned... I'd exclude Damien McKenzie, who I think is struggling for form at the moment. But on form right now, those three players would be a superior choice to Bowden Barrett at fullback. 
and certainly Richie Moanga is your All Black first five. So does Barrett return to the bench and become the versatile performer he was at the beginning of his career? It's very easy when discussing Bowden Barrett to get caught up in the hype. He's the most uh, popular player in New Zealand. He's the most active player perhaps in New Zealand on social media, but earnest conversations between all black coaches. Is he the right person on form? They tend to be very loyal to their experienced custodians and no one's going to blink an eye if Barrett was named an all black team, if there was one to be picked tomorrow, but on form right now, Barrett's in a precarious position, perhaps, especially if he goes away to Japan next year and gives these guys another year of playing hard, competitive New Zealand-based rugby. Mm. But yeah, it, it's yeah, it's definitely hard to see him not being in an All Blacks jersey. But like you said, because um, I guess for the I guess first and foremost, you you want your players to be in form when you're picking them for for the elite team. And I know, like you said, that the the All Blacks, especially with having uh, the turnover, with having Ian Foster in the job, they have shown a great amount of loyalty to guys, even when they have dipped in form. But if Barrett maybe doesn't move himself into 10 and things don't go right, and even if there aren't any all-black tests this year and then he's away next year on a sabbatical, who knows what can happen. But it would be interesting because I think like some of the other guys that sort of spring to mind when you think of someone like a Sonny Bill Williams and perhaps like an Israel Dag where they've sort of lost form and maybe not, fully earned their jerseys with their, their play of late um, in said years that I think that, you know, like sort of form is temporary, class is permanent sort of thing for me. And I think that when you have someone with Bowden Barrett's ability who, of course, we, you're always going to discuss the big game in that, in that semi-final last year, although I didn't think that he was the one to shoulder a lot of the blame. I thought that a lot of that game was lost in the forwards. But like you said, like a few... Are you going to have a guy like that on the park? He wanted to get his hands on the ball more often. And if the coaches and himself are sort of being directed to maybe not be as influential as he should be, yeah, you run the risk of him, like we've seen, maybe drop out of form or uh, not play at the the level that we're used to him seeing. But yeah, we'll, we'll kick that one to the side because otherwise we'll, we'll just keep sort of rambling about it. But the second game on Sunday was played between the Hurricanes and the Highlanders. And as I mentioned, the Highlanders... Uh, went down despite some some late fight back. Yeah, a pretty scrappy affair. Both teams had uh, a couple of handling errors. There was a big call early on in that fixture where Aaron Smith looked like he crossed for the game's first try, but the play got called back because Ash Dixon was deemed to have taken out Duplessis Karifi. I wasn't all that convinced that Karifi would have made that tackle, but you know, rest make that call. And then, if anything, when Nani Lamapi went crashing over, well, not crashing over, when he went slicing over. About 10 minutes later, that, that play was called black off a block play on Shannon Frizzell. So those two sort of cancelled each other out. But again, my man, uh, having watched Sunday's fixture over, uh, what were your biggest takeaways for both teams? Well, the tackle count against the Highlanders was 206.98, so it should never have been as close as it was. Unfortunately, the Hurricanes, unlike the Crusaders, lack killer instinct. Devin Flanders threw a very casual pass, which... Yep led to a bomb try in the corner that would have possibly sealed it 20 minutes before the anxious ending. But the Hurricanes' uh, forwards were very good and they actually operated a lot on the edges. It was interesting to see the wingers for the Highlanders made 22 tackles each. So the Hurricanes 
played close to the touchline, perhaps to negate the swirling wind, and they were able to make a lot of yardage and dominate territory and dominate possession, despite not translating it so successfully into points. Ben May, 38, he was evergreen. He was held up over the try line, won a turnover, held his own in the scrum. I thought uh, Bam Bam was exceptional. And there was also a nice uh, milestone for uh, TJ Perinara, which unfortunately wasn't picked up in the commentary by Ken Laban and Christian Cullen, but Perinara's try equaled Cullen's tally for the Hurricanes. 56 tries for Perinara. Cullen scored that in his career, and he's only four short of Israel Folau for the overall Super Rugby record. But what a great milestone for TJ Perinara to mark with the try to equal Christian Cullen, who I regard as the greatest ever Hurricane. Yeah, well, Perinara is probably going to overtake him on that mantle considering the length of time that he's played and the fact that he's won a championship. But, <coughs> excuse me, uh, like I said, it, it was a pretty scrappy game and I thought that the Highlanders played themselves out of the game in that first half just because of the way that the Hurricanes sort of fronted up. I thought that, that they brought the same attitude from last week's fixture against the Chiefs uh, in defence because, like I mentioned in the preview, I thought that both teams sort of have quite a predictable sort of set a phase play, the the Hollanders play a lot of nine and the Hurricanes play a lot of ten and even though I thought Aaron Smith was still sharp, but probably not as sharp as he was last weekend, um, the Hurricanes just brought, again, similar to the to the Blues in, in the previous game, they just brought a line speed and they just looked more effective in the contact area and even with ball in hand, I thought that they took a lot of confidence out of last weekend and it ran at a lot of weak shoulders and ran a lot of branches and, and got over the gain line. And like you said, uh, there were a couple of opportunities which went win a miss because of maybe some lackadaisical play. You mean you mentioned the, the Devin Flanders pass, which I thought Copas from Vakic did really well to recover from, but then obviously just tried to shoot the ball too quickly and ended up catching Geordie Barrett in the face. Besides that, though, I thought that the, the Hurricanes, again, showed uh, a lot of great patience. I thought that TJ Piranara's try was built off some a lot of good work around even off himself, and then he obviously had the show and go and, and Fulders made Aaron, and then Devin Flanders' try was sort of a long time coming uh, early in that second half, but yeah, I thought the you, you, you mentioned the forwards and their dominance, and I thought that Asafu Amor was really good uh, in one of the, the rare opportunities that he gets to start with having Dane Cole still amongst that group. Uh, his his line-out throwing looked a lot better. He had the, even though he was 100%, there were a couple of shaky ones that weren't I guess ideal, but Nonetheless, the Hurricanes got the ball back, and his other human wrecking ball mate, Nani Lamapi, was into the thick of things, and sort of similar to the four-pack, got his backline front foot ball, and allowed for someone like Perinara to just sort of have a little bit more time on the ball than, than what he's been used to, so, yeah, and then, I don't know what happened with the Highlanders um, within the space of a week at line-out time, I guess it's probably just a, a big tell as to how influential Josh Dixon has been for them, but they lost five line-outs against the throw after boasting the best line-out in the competition. The Highlanders crumbling at the line-out was uh, quite extraordinary. In the last two line-outs of the game, fed by Liam Coltman, went astray and ultimately cost his side the chance for pushing for victory. There was a period early in the second half where the Hurricanes had about 40 phases without the Highlanders touching the ball, and that obviously exhausted the defence, but I'd like to see a little more subtlety in the Hurricanes' attack. There's a lot of crash, bash, smash, wallop, which doesn't 
always work. But the Highlanders' uh, line-out was tellingly awful with the absence of Josh Dixon. And I wonder whether Paddy Paddy Parkinson had to impose himself more. He's nearly seven foot. He was incredibly strong for Tasman when they won the MPC last year. This is a guy who has considerable ability and has been earmarked for great things in the future, but he hasn't really imposed himself yet in a big game. We're still waiting for it, but if this Putty Putty Parkinson gets out of the box, look out, because he is uh, quite something, but it didn't happen on uh, Sunday. Mitchell Hunt played very well for the Highlanders. He made some brave tackles and was the catalyst for their comeback at the end. Despite the lack of ball, he looked uh, very lively. Wonder if Mitch Hunt was considered when the Hurricanes were scrambling around to find a first five. What did you make of Fletcher Smith's performance, uh, Jordan? It was a mixed bag from my uh, perspective. It was a mixed bag. I, I like the, the point you made with Mitch Hunt. I thought that he took another step forward and was showing a bit more, I guess, enthusiasm to take the line on because he showed that he's he's got good enough feet to play at the line, but I guess that having played for the most part at the Crusaders on the bench, you don't really get those sorts of opportunities. And maybe they the way that he was sort of instructed to play took that aspect of his game out of it for him. And no, I, I thought he looked really good. But then even on Fletcher Smith, I thought that he he looked good. He There's still a little bit of hesitation there for me. Now, he, you made a mention to the fact that he can kick off both feet, and I thought his passing was really good. I've heard a lot of really good stuff about his his catch pass being arguably the best in the country, so he's definitely got the skill set there, but it's almost like he just needs to back himself. There was the one where he was unfortunate not to be the recipient of a, a Geordie Barrett offload in the first half, where it, which sort of probably would have seen him score under the sticks, and then there was also one where I think he went to free an offload, but then it, the ball didn't go to hand, so... I think that I don't think it matters who's going to be playing in that ten jersey. I still think there needs to be some sort of restructuring around the way the Hurricanes do their attack. You you paid attention to the fact that that sometimes they do go a little bit crash and bash, which I don't mind because I I think that sort of shows the the enthusiasm or the um the want to beat the team up front. But I guess when you come up against a team like the Blues and the Crusaders, you probably need a little bit more to your game. And as good as Perinara looked. I thought that the the Highlanders probably let them off the hook with especially that their laziness or their lack or their thuggishness in the first half, and that like you said, had that last lineup gone to hand, who knows what would have happened? But nonetheless, the the Hurricanes take four points away from that game, and they will build to what will be a big clash next weekend with the Blues. The try for Aaron Smith the disallowed in the fourth minute certainly was a harsh call against the visitors. You do wonder what impact. That might have had, if the Highlanders had opened the scoring, it'd be remiss too not to uh, praise uh, Devon Flanders. He threw that loose pass, which arguably denied a try. But there's a young man in Jersey 6 for the Hurricanes who really grew in stature throughout the contest, got a try and became far more prominent in the second half. He really does look like a promising prospect. And there was a nice uh, local moment in the game to Jordan, with about six and a half minutes left, uh, Murphy Taramai became Hurricane 274, and he's a long-time stalwart of Upper Hutt. He went to the Blues, couldn't crack it up there. He's back down uh, playing for Upper Hutt, ran the water for them on uh, Saturday in their game against Avalon, and got his Hurricanes 
debut. So good to see Murphy Taramai, one of the real local personalities of rugby, get a go. Yeah, I'm sure he would have got a decent cheer at the Cape Town yesterday. On the point of players that possibly are potentially missing the boat with their play of late, having Peter mentioned to Bowden Barrett, what are your thoughts around Vifa Fita? Because he's missed selection quite a few times, and with the, the the game time that he has been getting, he hasn't been anywhere near as effective. And now I'm not sure because I'm you know I'm a back and I I do my best to understand forward play, but at times it sort of can go over my head. And maybe he's getting himself um, a little bit more stuck into the to the nitty gritty stuff. But we aren't really seeing the 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 athletic Vifa Fita that we're used to um, with the Canes of late, are we? He appears to be a player without an identity. He's been shuffled between lock and flanker. My opinion is that he's a flanker. He's an explosive runner who needs to be employed as frequently as possible with ball in hand, perhaps not as adept at doing the core roles, as the jargon goes. But my theory on Via Fafita is somewhat different to everybody else's, and hopefully... Sevens will resume shortly, but I think Via Fafita should be put in the New Zealand Sevens team with the ambition of winning an Olympic gold medal. He's got all the attributes to be a fantastic forward in the Sevens, and maybe the new lease of life and a new challenge that would be born in the Sevens program could be the rejuvenation of Via Fafita because he looks lost at the Hurricanes. That's an interesting take, though. I think that. There are a lot of guys that might um, or could use maybe the confidence boost of playing sevens. Are there any other players that sort of spring to mind when you bring up that talking point? Well, maybe Bowden <laughs> Barrett at the moment. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that, that might be a bit uh, disingenuous. I, I just think uh, maybe Asafo Moore, perhaps. Uh, he's only a young guy. If you've ever seen Asafo Moore play sevens, goodness me, there's some serious pyrotechnics. I, I think. Once the Sevens is re-established and the Olympics is a possibility again, that New Zealand really has to send their very best team to Tokyo to try and win that Olympic gold medal. That campaign in Rio de Janeiro in 2016 was a shambles. You win the Olympic gold medal and you're generating headlines around the world and you are potentially earning a huge windfall of dollars. Uh, New Zealand should be going all out when the possibility arises again to win the Olympic Games Sevens gold medal and Via Fafita might be a player that figures in the plan simply because he could be a dominant kickoff and line-out exponent in the Sevens and that's become very important in the World Series Tour now and running freely and running with confidence and clarity uh, could be the best thing for him. Mm. Yeah, like you're not wrong when when you pay attention to the fact that the the NZIU did Gordon Titchens dirty, especially off the back with Adi Sevier pulling out of the competition because of his form in Super Rugby, which then saw him motivated to the All Blacks. But again, that's a that's a tale for another another day. But uh, all in all, man, um, I, I enjoyed the footy and I've enjoyed having you on once again. Hopefully, I can get you back on towards the back end of this. Thanks again for for saving my bacon last week. And until I See you next time, my man. Stay safe and keep the good times rolling. Take it easy.